Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. Again, we absolutely love your pastors. We love this church. Um, we just feel at home. You know, we, we're Louisianans. We're Cajuns, but we feel at home here. We feel at home. And so uh, thank you so much for having us this morning. Um, we came back from Kenya uh, in December, and we had spent just over nine months there. Uh, and I was telling your pastors yesterday that the past nine months felt like nine years. Um, because God did so many incredible things that we couldn't keep up, and we couldn't remember if it was this year or last year or two years ago. I was like, did we dedicate that church this year? Um, But, man, God did so many incredible things um, throughout our time there. Did we have our challenges? Absolutely. Did we have our setbacks? Absolutely. But did we see the faithfulness of God time and time again? Absolutely. One thousand percent. He is faithful. He continues to be faithful. He continues to provide every need that we have. Um, Man, I I can't even begin to tell you uh, all that God did. Um, I don't know if you guys remember. I see many familiar faces out here. But in 2019, we found an entire community that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had never heard the name of Jesus They were out there offering sacrifices to God, trying to find favor because they didn't know the ultimate sacrifice had already been paid for their lives. And so we began to go through that community, and we saw people healed. We saw lives changed. We saw lives transformed. They didn't have clean water. They didn't have a school. They didn't have a church. Today, today, they have clean water. They have a water well that provides water. Today, they have a school where 47 babies are going to school for the very first time in their entire life. Yes, them babies are adorable, and they're so cute. But they're going to school for the very first time. Their their parents are uneducated, but they are able to get an education. And when they come to school, they're learning not only about ABCs and 1, 2, 3s, but they're learning the Word of God. They're learning the Word of God. At the beginning of this past year, we built and established a church in that community And we dedicated it to the Lord, but every single Sunday there are people gathering in that church, hearing the word of God, growing in Christ, and the church is growing, and we praise God for what he's doing in that community. And there are many other communities deep in the bush. The deeper we go, the more we find. So there are communities that are deeper in that bush that have never heard of Jesus. They don't have clean water, they don't have a school, and they don't have a church. And so our goal is to change that. And so we continue to go out, we continue to evangelize, and we continue to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Um, And so that's part of what we do out there. We also have an education program um, located at our camp. Uh, So we've got 50 acres out there. And at our camp, we have a teacher that comes, and they teach uh, the elderly. They teach the adults that never had the opportunity to go get an education. So they're coming to our camp three times a week, and they're learning how to read, and they're learning how to write, and they're learning how to do math so that whenever they go into market to exchange and to buy, they're not getting taken advantage of. 
And so they're getting an education, but they're also learning the word of God in the process of it because the teacher that we have teaching these people is a local pastor that knows the community. So he's teaching the word of God while he's teaching ABCs and one, two, threes to the adults. Every generation, they learn him. And so we're just so thankful. Um, we have tools that were, that were accessible to us and we took advantage of it. Um, but how many of you have ever, have ever heard of the Jesus film? Okay, I got one, I got two, three. Okay, cool. So, oh, come on. All right, so the Jesus film is the life and teachings of Jesus Christ in a cinema format, okay? It's, it was, it's an old film, but they have dubbed it over into every language known to mankind. And so we were able to find the Jesus film in the Maasai language. We work among the Maasai. And so we are going into these communities that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only are we able to preach to them, but we're able to set up a white blanket on our vehicle. I don't know how my husband does it, but he sets up a white blanket on our vehicle. And in the middle of nowhere where there's no power, no electricity, no running water, he's got this little bitty cart that he pulls up. And they're able to raise in a projector. And he projects a cinema onto our car. And they're able to watch the life and teachings of Jesus Christ come to life right before their eyes. And it's been powerful. God has used it. We're in a, a, a building smaller than this, and there'll be 200-plus people crammed in to come see the cinema of Jesus. And whenever they start crucifying Jesus, you see these men get angry, and they grab their spears, and they're like, ah! But the gospel is coming to life right before their eyes. And we saw God move in powerful ways all throughout the bush of Kenya. We also had the opportunity to bring in 100 solar audio Bibles. Now, these audio Bibles, they're not cheap. They're $63 for one. And we brought in 100 of them. They're loud enough that 200-plus people can hear the word of God in their language. And we found one with Maasai. And so we bought 100, brought it over. We would go to these villages. We would, God bless you. We would preach, and we would, uh, we would pray for the sick. And then we would give them an audio Bible because many in those villages have never gone to school, never got an education. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to write, but they can listen. And so we place the audio Bible in their hands, and they press play, and, you, and something just comes alive within them because for the first time in their entire life, they have an access to the gospel, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere they go. And it's solar power operated. And we, every village we went to, 100. So 100 villages received an audio Bible this past year. And in each of those villages, there could be 25 to 30 people that now have access to the gospel. Even though they cannot read and write, they can hear. And God is using that. Yes, God is using that as a tool. And we're so thankful for what he's doing in our community, in the communities deep in the bush, uh, we also partner with the local children's office. Um, in our county, we've got one man that covers all children needs in our county, which is huge. And every single day, he's seeing cases of early marriage, men who are given their 10-year-old daughter to be married to an old man. He's seeing cases of FGM. If you don't know what it is, look it up. He's seeing babies abandoned on the sidewalk, abandoned on the side of the road, they had one baby that was just left, brand new baby, newborn, 
hours old, left on the sidewalk in, in the broad daylight, skin just burned. He's seeing this every single day, and so we partnered together with him in, re, in meeting some of these needs. You know, our motto is find a need and meet it. We can't meet every need, but we can meet a lot of those needs. We have resources that they don't have. And so we partner together with them, and he'll call us, and he's like, man, I've got these two girls we need to go rescue, but our tires on our truck, they're old and they're rotten, and we don't have the money. I got you. We were able to go and buy two brand-new tires and put those tires on my husband, personally put those tires on that truck so that they can go and rescue those girls. Sometimes we go into the trenches, and sometimes we provide what is needed for others to go into the trenches. And so we partnered together with them, and we work with street kids. These are seven, eight, nine-year-olds that are living on the street, homeless, addicted to drugs. And so we love to find people who are called by God and doing something for the kingdom of God. And we love to come alongside them and say, how can we help you fulfill the call of God upon your life? God brought us to a mama, a local mama, and she's been reaching these street kids, and she's got a way to work with them. We're getting them rehabilitated off of the drugs. We're getting them put in boarding school, and they are getting an education and and have a, a future for their lives that doesn't involve drugs. And we're so thankful for that ministry and that that opportunity to partner together with locals who are called by God to reach the people of Kenya. And so in in March of this past year, we got a little bit of a curveball. We were, I mean, we we had the year planned out. We had ministry planned out. We were missions and outreaches and building churches and everything else. And we got a phone call from the local children's office. And he said, look, I've got a baby and I've got nowhere to put him. And they said he was found on the side of the road at night underneath the bush. And they said that an old man brought him in. And um, he was brought to a local children's home, who we also partner with. He was brought to a local children's home. And within 24 hours, that children's home called the children's officer and said, send somebody to come get this baby. They said, we can't keep him. They believed he had hydrocephalus. They believed he had neurological issues. They believed him to be 8 to 10 months old based on his height and... um, He couldn't support his head. He couldn't roll over. He couldn't sit up. He literally just laid there lifeless. And so whenever we got that phone call, we immediately went grocery shopping. And we got diapers and we got formula and we got clothes and anything else that we we could think of. We didn't know what size he was. And so we went to this children's home and walked into this room and there was this baby sitting in a, um, a bassinet just absolutely lifeless. He couldn't support his neck, so his neck was like this, and he just stared into space, unresponsive to people around him. And so the, the, the lady at the children's home, you know, was like, you're brave to take this on. And I was like, he has no one fighting for him, but we're here to fight for him. I don't know what, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do whatever we can to help him. And so we took him home. And got, uh, spent days at the hospital running tests. They thought he had hydrocephalus. He does not have hydrocephalus. They thought he had rickets. He does not have rickets. They thought he had neurological problems. He does not have neurological problems. It was a severe case of neglect and dehydration. He was days away from death, is what the doctor said. And so we would lay, we would take care of him, and, and I was fearful to even leave him through the night for fear that, I would wake up and he'd be gone. So I would check on him all the time. But he would wake up from his naps and he wouldn't call out. Listen. And God placed him in our, in our home. 
And we, were, we began to just love him and feed him and feed him a little bit more and feed him a little bit more. And then we learned he eats like a grown man. Um, <laughs> he eats like a grown man. And all of a sudden, that baby that came to us lifeless, he found his laughter. And he has the sweetest laugh ever. And so whenever we took him in, we knew that adoption was not possible. We always wanted to adopt, but we knew that adoption was not possible. But we knew that this baby needed somebody to fight for him. And two months after we got him, I got a phone call from the children's officer. And he said, listen, if you want to adopt this baby, the option is now available because the Kenya is passing a law which will allow foreigners to adopt. And I said, you're never getting this baby back. <laughs> And so we are fostering him beneath the Kenyan government right now. It's a unique situation. Uh, Kenya is moving within the next 10 years to get rid of all children's homes and move to a foster care network because every child deserves a family. And so uh, we are fostering him, and I had to have surgery. I had surgery about a month and a half ago on my shoulder. When they told me what they did, I was like, you did what? Um, but I had, I had surgery, and I said, we're not leaving this baby. And so God just made a way where there seemed to be no way, he made a way. The nearest U.S. Embassy appointment was six months out. God made a way, opened up an appointment within two days of applying for an appointment. We were able to get in, and they, they approved his visa to come to America. We were able to get a passport for him. Everything that they said was impossible was possible with God. Possible with God. And so he is upstairs right now in class, um, walking around in a walker. He's crawling now. He's taking steps when you hold his hand. He don't like it, but he does it. And um, he loves to eat. He is healthy. We've got appointments set up with Shriners just to do a double check and make sure there is nothing wrong. Uh, but he is growing every single day. He is just learning new words and, and new things. And I don't know what God has planned for his life, but I know God has a plan. And we could not do any of what was done this past year without you guys. You guys were partnering together. And I know that, that, that you've never been there, but you have. Because everything that we've done is you. And you guys are just such a blessing to us as a family, us as a ministry. And uh, we appreciate all of your love and your support and your prayers. And um, all glory to God. Amen. So I'm going to invite my husband. I know he's got a word. I'm just kidding. We got a video because, you know, I talk a lot, but the pictures are really better. So there you go.
Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God, church. So glad to be here. Love you guys. We really do feel at home here. My mom's even here and my sister. How cool is that? Yeah, they live, uh, well, passwords. Nailed it. First try. All right. Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll get started with the word. Amen. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit move in this place. People don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just do a work in people's hearts and lives, that you would inspire them, God, because I really believe that that the spiritual warfare, any sermon on spiritual warfare is a gospel message, that that gospel message is for everyone, that, God, you have a plan and a purpose for each of us, and we will not let the enemy, ourselves, or the world stop us from reaching the lost and accomplishing the purpose of God. I pray, God, you'd stir up that flame in each and every person's heart into a raging fire, that God would be a fire shut up in our bones to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that many would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of the freedom you give people here in this room, even today. It's for freedom's sake that we are set free. Inspire us, draw us into your presence, God, and do a work in our hearts and lives. Jesus, in your mighty name, amen. Amen. Man, that is the last generation of people in that community that won't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the last generation of the Maasai in that area that don't have access to clean water. That is the last generation of people in that community that don't have access to to school and education. Amen. Come on, man. That is transformation. Amen. And you know, the enemy doesn't like that. The enemy does not like that at all. The devil don't like it. And tell you what, the, the culture in this world doesn't like it either, you know. Uh, but God does. God has a purpose for each of us. He has a mission for each and every one of us who's here. And today we're talking about spiritual warfare. Now, this is something that each and every one of us are engaged in. We are engaged in spiritual warfare, whether you recognize it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you fight or not, it is happening around you because the enemy, the devil has a plan for you. He has a plan to steal from you. He has a plan to kill you. He has a plan to destroy you. He has a plan to take whatever he can from you. Okay? Foolishness ain't playing either. There has never been another generation more bombarded with the foolishness, with the wickedness, with temptation, and with sin. The culture of this world doesn't just accept sin. It celebrates sin and wants you to join them. There's never been a generation more distracted, more attacked by the world than the generation we're living in right now. Not only that, our own minds. We are born into wickedness. We're not born. That's honestly, this is how I know. This is how I know the word of God is true because there is no man who's ever existed who would write things like love your enemy greater than you love yourself. No one has that natural propensity to love people, to cherish people, to do good like that. No one. Now, the word of God transforms people's lives, and thank God, because we are born wicked, and we need the life transforming, the recreation power of the Holy Ghost revealed through the scripture, that living and active word of God. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you something. You'll never be more attacked than when you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means each and every one of us should be seeing that regular attack. Are you? 
Are you seeing that regular attack? Are you recognizing that attack? You know, a lot of us, we we don't necessarily see that same level of of attack in our life, but it might be because we're not fulfilling the mission of that purpose of God in our life. You see, each and every one of us uh, are given this mission. The Bible, we call the Great Commission in the Bible. It's up there at the end of the Gospels, and, and, and Jesus says, this is right before he ascends to heaven. It's the last thing he says to the believers And I I mean all the believers, all the people who believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, all 5,000 of them or so were there at the hill. All the people who saw him raised from the dead, all of them were there gathered, which means when he says this, he's saying it to the entire body of believers. That extends all the way to us today. So these words are for us. Go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go make disciples. And lo, I'll be with you till the end of the age. That was for each and every one of us, even today. Me and you, doesn't matter how old you are, the devil has a plan for you. It doesn't matter how young you are, the devil has a plan for you. It doesn't matter if you've been saved a day. It doesn't matter if you've been saved as long as you can remember. The enemy has a purpose to attack you. But let me tell you something even better. It doesn't matter how old you are. God has a purpose for you. It doesn't matter how young you are. God has his hand on your life. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved one day or as long as you can remember. God has an anointing. God has a calling. God has a purpose. And he has victory for you to bring. He has set you up as a city on a hill that like to be seen the salt of the earth he's got a purpose for your life there's a calling and a mission that you've been given and just like in warfare when the orders come down and you're given a mission you have a duty you have a responsibility to react and to live accordingly amen we have that calling we have that that mission we've been giving our marching orders and yet many of us We are so apathetic to the purpose of God, we end up being complicit in the purpose of the enemy. Ah, Our complacency ends up making us complicit. You wonder why maybe you're not being so attacked. Maybe it's because you've become a threat to the mission of God yourself. And the enemy's like, I don't need to attack that guy. (laughs) He's not doing anything. You see, the devil's completely fine with complacent Christians. The devil is completely fine if you hear all the truth and goodness of God and you hear Pastor Matt preach the word, you hear Star give that inspiring stuff during worship, all that stuff is happening, you're getting fed, Holy Spirit's moving, and you walk outside and nothing changes if nothing changes. And your life is still so broken. Your mind is still so bound up in sin. You're so wound up in the culture. That's the battle you fight over and 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 over again. The devil's just laughing because you're no longer serving the purpose of God. Your apathy, your complacency will inevitably make you complicit in the devil's schemes. And that is not not the purpose of God for your life. 
Like he didn't say there wouldn't be warfare. He said there would be. He said there would be troubles, that we would face these things, that we would, we would wrestle, we would fight, we would have these battles. But he also said, fear not for I've overcome the world. God has a plan and a purpose for your life and it's not for you to struggle with the same things over and over and over again. It's for you to walk in victory even when you've got cancer. It's for you to walk in the power of the Holy Ghost even when you don't have a dollar or a dime to your name. He said he found, he found the secret to be, be, be satisfied in all things, in rich or poor, in prison or not, shipwrecked, 40 lashes minus one, over and over again, and he found a way to be full of joy. It wasn't because the battles weren't real. It wasn't because it wasn't difficult. It wasn't because it wasn't painful. It wasn't because he had all that he ever wanted. It wasn't because he was too blessed to be stressed. It was because he served a God who gave him victory even through trials. It's because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, man. That's what we're talking about today. On the front lines of battle, there should be blood on our sword. We should be actively pursuing the enemy, driving him out of our schools. We should be driving him out of our families. We should be driving him out of our workplace. We should be driving the enemy back. Amen. Hallelujah. So what exactly are we at war with? First uh, verse I want to bring up is 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. This is one of my favorite verses as it pertains to recognizing the battles we face as Christians. Because I really think it sums up three incredible opponents we have in spiritual warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Go through that again. When our obedience, every disobedience, uh, when your obedience is complete. So we're going to go through that again. When our obedience is made complete, we're able to punish, right, disobedience in our life. Well, this is as it pertains to taking every thought captive. Where do you take thoughts captive? In your mind. Mm-hmm. In your mind. You take thoughts captive in your mind. Now, check this out. We destroy every argument and every lofty opinion. Where do opinions outside of our mind come from? Come on, they come out of the world. They come out of the, the, the culture and the influence of the world around us. Also, our weapons are not of the flesh. We're not out there punching the world in the face. We're not out there drawing swords on people. No, 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 no. But we are destroying strongholds. What are those strongholds? Those aren't physical strongholds. Those are spiritual ones. So we're at war with the world, the flesh, and with the devil. When I say the world, I mean the general culture and its influence over a Christian's morality, their culture, their understanding of life around them, how they act, right? Because let me tell you something. Any dead fish can float down the river. Any dead fish can just down the river. But it takes... I mean, come on, have you seen those salmons? The salmon is just like all in the water, right? And there's like bears just ah, catching the fish, right? Catching them things. The waterfall is flowing down and the fish are just like up the waterfall every time. 
It doesn't matter how many waterfalls, doesn't matter how many bears, doesn't matter how many traps and fishing lines, them fish are going that way. And it takes something alive and with purpose to swim against the stream of this culture, to swim against the stream of immorality, to swim against all the attacks of the enemy and continue pursuing something because any dead fish can float down the river. But I'm telling you, It takes something with purpose in mind to go the other way. Wide. Wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many will float down it. It's a pun. That's not what it says. Many will walk it. But narrow is the path that leads to life, and few will find it. Few will swim up that river. Few will fight against that current. Amen. But that's what God wants for you. Come out from among them and be separate, amen. When I say the flesh, I mean our own carnal desire to live against what is good, what is pleasing, what is perfect. Hang on, my elbow's caught. Ouch. Amen. Lord, heal me. He's good. He's faithful. Amen. You see, the world may say, follow your heart, but the Bible says your heart is desperately wicked, and from birth, it turns away from God. Right? We see all that in all the Disney movies my little girl watches. Follow your heart, the power of friendship. And it's like, man, that's bad advice. I don't, if I followed my heart, I wouldn't be serving Jesus. No, I had to have my heart recreated. I had to have my heart destroyed. I had to have my heart recreated, right? And it was through the word of God that that was able to happen, right? The word of God is like a hammer that breaks up the proud heart. That was me. I had to have my heart destroyed and remade, not repaired. We're not born into righteousness. We're not born into goodness. We're not born into holiness. We are born into sin, and we have to be transformed. And it is only through the transforming power of Jesus Christ, through propitiation of that blood that sanctifies me, that makes me new, that I become a new creation through Jesus Christ. That and only that makes me righteous now. Now I look at myself, and though I have sinned, and though I have fallen, though I have messed up, all of that doesn't matter about my flesh. What matters is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm no longer part of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. So we fight the world. Then we got to fight our own mind. But then, when I say the devil, what I really mean is the devil and demonic influences, not only over this world, but only over our own thoughts. And the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities. My elbow feels better. Thank you, Jesus. And against all the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Hallelujah. When thoughts of depression, lust, anxiety seem to just come out of nowhere, they're not coming out of nowhere. They're not coming out of nowhere. When every reason in your life says you should be living in purity, in holiness, in peace, in joy, you're blessed. How blessed are you? When you go to your faucet and you turn the handle, what happens? Hot water. Hot water. You go to your fridge and there's water in the door. You go to the sink, there's water. You got water in your toilet. And you don't drink any of that. You drink the bottled water. I'm going to do that right now for illustration purposes only. Right? But Psalm Pet. Psalm Pet is a little girl that lives just about 
a mile and a half, just about a mile and a half down the road from me. Well, road is relative. It's Africa. But, uh, but she walks every day, and she comes with two jerry cans for water. Each one is 20 liters, leather strap. She's skinnier and smaller than my little girl, if you can imagine that. And she carries water from my house all the way to her house before she takes the four-mile trek to school every single day. You are blessed. You are with all that water. That's 40 liters. That's 40 kilograms. And if you're not familiar with how much kilograms weigh, I weigh 75 kilograms. So slightly more than half a man. And this little girl carries it home. You are blessed. You have every reason to be filled with joy. You have every reason to be filled with the purpose of God. You have no reason to allow the hard things. Don't get me wrong. They're hard. We face hard things. We face struggles. We telling you we're so blessed in America, we invent problems. It's funny, but it's true. <laughs> like... That's funny. That's funny. It's also sad and true. Let me tell you something about spiritual warfare. Most people either believe way too much in spiritual warfare or, frankly, not enough. C.S. Lewis said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. That's C.S. Lewis. Uh, And that's completely true. You see, the devil and principalities exist, but they don't deserve very much of our focus. When we are encountered, we focus on Jesus Christ, who deserves our focus. Right? Let me tell you something. Jesus even answered the devil with Scripture. He didn't answer the devil with, I rebuke you. He didn't answer the devil with, uh, you know, mighty power or thunder and lightning. Let me tell you something, though. This is Jesus Christ. This is the one who's coming back on a white horse with robes dipped in blood with a name on his thigh that no one knows but he himself. That guy, right? A crown of many thorns. Like, you know, that Jesus, you know, the one that was there when the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and he spoke because the Bible says that it was by Jesus all things were created and through Christ all things continue to exist. That Jesus The same yesterday, today, and forever, right? The serpent lifted up in the desert. They all focused, right? Jesus Christ died on the cross from our sins. That Jesus, King Jesus, Lord of lords, King of kings, all his enemies will be made his footstool, Jesus. And he used scripture. I can do that, right? I can do that. So King Jesus, who could rebuke him with the word, who could snap his fingers and he wouldn't even exist anymore, who could call down lightning and fire, rain fire from heaven, Jesus, didn't do any of that. He did something I can do. He did something you can do. He did something we can do because Jesus Christ came and lived as an example of how we can have victory over the enemy. And it is so easy. It is so, so easy. It is not by power or might. It is by the Holy Spirit. You have victory over the enemy. You stand on the word of God and you'll win every time. How do I know? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. If it worked for him, I bet it will work for you. Come on, man. I'm so glad Jesus did that as an example for us. See, Jesus Christ, he already defeated the enemy. Jesus Christ defeated him at the cross through his blood and sacrifice, and therefore we stand on the word of God in difficult circumstances. In Luke 10, it says this, 
Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Excuse me, but does that sound passive-aggressive? Does that sound super chill and comfortable? Does that sound like cool church with coffee and donuts? That's not a bad thing, man. Coffee and donuts is what's up. That's what's up. But as long as cool church is a means to an end and not the end, right? Cool church is fine. It's a means to get to a point, right? The problem is God is not sending us out into comfort. He's not sending. He, he did not die so you could have the things that you want. He died. It literally says it, we were set free for freedom's sake. We were set free to bring freedom to other people. We were, we were drafted into the military of God. We were called out of the darkness into light. That's got nothing to do with your financial station, Just so we're clear. There's wolves out there. Okay. Behold, I've given you authority. Oh, come on, man. Hallelujah. To tread on serpents. Glory to God. And scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy. And lo, nothing shall hurt you. That's what's up. Wait, 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 wait. Don't clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. Because the Bible literally says not to right here. <laughs> Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Hold up. I was about to, I was about to put my dancing shoes on, and he, Jesus said, no, why? I'm sending you out like lions, you know, like there's wolves around you, it's going to be all dangerous and stuff, but like, don't stress, because I got this, and you're going to have power and authority, but don't be excited about that. Do not be excited, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Ah, I get it. I get it. Jesus Christ is literally telling us exactly what we're supposed to focus on. The enemy comes. The enemy attacks. We have victory. He gets no focus. The devil gets no focus. You know who does? King Jesus, our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gets all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, all my time, all my breath, all my life. All my purpose is in Jesus Christ, and that is what I'm rejoicing in. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, he's going to scatter seven different ways. The Lord raises his standard against him. It's Jesus. It's King Jesus. He's Lord of my life, and he reigns over it all, and he has a purpose for you. Focus on the mission at hand. Jesus is telling us exactly what to focus on. The enemy's real, his attacks are real, and they suck sometimes. But the victory is already paid for. And the focus should be mainly on the calling of God that he's given us. When impure thoughts, when anxiety, when depression try to invade my mind, I quote scripture. I turn every attack into a positive by praying, God, you give me a thirst for righteousness. You give me a hunger for purpose. God, you give me peace. Not the world's peace. The peace of Jesus Christ that surpasses understanding. I have hope. Hope like an anchor that holds beyond the veil. The world doesn't have that. But I do. But I do. And that purpose remains. Hallelujah. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the preaching of Christ is the whipping on the back of the devil. I love that, man. I love that. The devil comes in. You preach Jesus. The enemy comes in, the world comes in, depression comes in. I couldn't pay my bills. Let me tell you something. If I starve to death, I'm going to heaven. What's up? Right? What did Paul say? The stuff, the troubles of this life, 
they, they don't even compare to the glory that's coming. Come on, man. Look, I've been homeless. It sucks. It is not fun. It is not a good time. We have seen all kind of troubles in my life. We could, I could tell you all about the things we faced this year, the, the, the bones that broke, literally, the, the, the pain we felt, the surgeries we needed, the, the tough thing. I can't even tell you how many tires I had to buy and things I had to do to get out there. But you know what happened when we got out there to the glory of God? Witch doctors got saved. Strangers became friends. People got filled with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We saw miracles. We saw deliverance. We saw people who never heard of Jesus get saved the first time they heard about Jesus. What? That second part sounds so much better, doesn't it? That second part deserves your focus. Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, has always been, and will always be the answer to spiritual warfare. Focus on Christ. It literally purges the venom of the world from your veins. That is a weird sentence. What does it mean? There's this story. Nope. No, no. There's this factual historical account written down in the Old Testament where these people, the Israelites, were again and again, even though they saw the Red Sea split open. Even though they had the fire by night and the cloud by day. Even though they had the provisions, the manna from heaven. Even though they had all that. Kind of like America, who's got everything it could possibly need. All the blessings you could fathom. And you have medical care and you've got such great things and all the provisions. What a blessed nation. And yet they just kept on sinning. The Israelites just kept on falling into sin. Man, it was like a cycle. They would fall into sin. Something terrible would happen. They would repent. They would call on God. They would stop sinning. That God would rescue them. And this cycle completed. And they were just rolling down the generations like that. And this one time, they were so messed up in sin, and these vipers came and started biting people. And you know what happens when a viper bites you? You die. Yes. Facts. Hashtag facts, right? And people were dying from these snakes, man. This venom was in their veins. And the Bible says, literally says, that this is a type of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus spoke to their leader, Moses, and said, Moses, raise up this bronze serpent on a pole high so everyone can see it. Everyone in the community will be able to see it. And the Bible says that this is a type of Jesus Christ when he was raised up on the cross. And anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. The Bible says that anyone who focused on that serpent, the venom was purged from them. Listen, in the same way, in the situations of your life, when those wicked thoughts from the world or from your own mind come in, if you turn your focus to Jesus Christ, it purges that stuff right from you. It purges that stuff right out of your heart, right out of your life, right out of your mind. Bring your focus back to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In Revelations 12, 11, it says this, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Yo, I hate when people stop right there because the rest of the verse is this, for they love not their lives even unto death. Yo, they was ready for war. They was ready to die. They were ready to suffer for Jesus. I mean, throughout Revelations, it talks about those saints who died for their faith. Let's not forget that sometimes... In spiritual warfare, you might be called to suffering. You might be called to death. 
death for your faith, certainly death to your flesh. Come on, man. When you testify, though, so powerful, your focus is in the right place. And being in the right place is very important when it comes to fighting, right? Always improve your fighting position. This is something we, we, we recognize throughout all history from when Cain tiptoed behind Abel and smoked him with a rock, right? The first person to put one of those rocks in a sling and sling it at somebody. The first person to take a stone and put it on top of the other. The first person to realize that fortifying, you could build a castle, you could build a wall, you could build an intercontinental ballistic missile, you could build the M1 Abrams main battle tank. Like from the first time someone got on a chariot, it's the person who had better implements of war defensively and offensively, the person who better prepared themselves for battle. That's the guys who won. Throughout all of history, Waterloo, Take your pick, any battle you pick. In the same way, if we can recognize that we're gonna be engaged in spiritual warfare, that we're gonna have a fight when it comes to our minds, our actions, our thoughts, the world around us, our family, there's gonna be attacks, there's gonna be warfare. Shouldn't we recognize, not only as a lesson from history, but a lesson from the word of God that we should prepare ourselves for combat, right? I know what you're thinking. He's going to go through the armor, all right? No, shoes fit for the gospel, belt of peace. No, no, hang on. Not, not yet. Not yet. But shouldn't we prepare ourselves for spiritual combat? How can we improve our fighting position spiritually? This is my point right here. Study yourself to the death of your flesh and pray yourself to life, a life in the spirit. Amen. Let me break that down for you. Study yourself to death, the death of your flesh. Let the word of God be like that hammer that breaks up the pride in your heart, that transforms your life. Entrench yourself. Entrench yourself in the word of God. Fortify your mind, being transformed by the word. Let your spiritual weapons be forged in his word. Sharpen your sword of the spirit and anchor yourself in the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen. Because let me tell you something, the word of God is still the standard for morality and truth. It is still the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. It is still the answer. It is still the standard for morality and truth. It's still the schoolmaster teaching me the way of righteousness. Hallelujah. It is still the path of righteousness. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that testing, that by testing, excuse me, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. It's acceptable. You don't choose what's perfect. That is the job of the word of God. And your job is to take your thoughts captive and align to the word of God. Then stand on the word of God in the face of spiritual attacks. Hallelujah. The word of God has authority, and it's not just knowledge, it's faith in it. We see that in this story about the centurion. You see, the centurion was a man of war. He was a man of, 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 of uh, he was authority. He was over 100 legionnaires, but not only them. Those legionnaires had conscripts underneath them that were non-Roman citizens trying to gain their citizenship by fighting underneath those men. There were servants among them. He was literally over 1,000 people, plus their servants, and their servants' servants. Did you know servants had servants? Crazy, right? So this is a man who understands authority. This is a man who understands simple things 
about war, right? Let me tell you something else, though. The centurion was a Roman. He was not an Israelite. He didn't grow up reading the Torah. He did not grow up studying the scriptures. He did not have a rabbi. This was a Roman of Romans. And yet he heard somebody had authority over sickness and death. He heard there was a man named Jesus that had authority over sickness. And his servant, someone he loved and cherished, was dying. And so he and some of his men left their home, went into the streets unprotected in the face of a large crowd of what they would consider their enemies. And they all called to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, my servant is unwell, dying. Jesus said, I'll go with you. But this is what he said. This is what the centurion replied with in Matthew 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my, neither am I, Jesus. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, he goes. Another, come, he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. He was marveling at the faith of a pagan. And he said to those who followed him, the people following him were Israelites, Hebrews, people who were raised with the Torah and the scriptures. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Come on, man. Jesus was marveling at a heathen's faith because the heathen was able to take Jesus at his word. Can you do that in your life? Can you take Jesus at his living word that you have access to? It is in your native language and you are educated and able to read it. Can you take Jesus at his word and then act accordingly? Because this man who had never had access to the scriptures could. Come on, man. What about us? We need to take God, we need to take Jesus at his word and have that understanding of authority that gives us faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Pray yourself to life, a life in the spirit. You see, everyone focuses on the armor of God when talking about spiritual warfare. We mentioned that briefly, and don't get me wrong, in Ephesians 6, that's what's up. Got the sword of the spirit, got the belt of truth, flesh plate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, the shoes fit with the gospel of priests. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Read it and apply it, right? Oh, wait, shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. That's pretty awesome, man. When I was a kid, you can ask my mom, one of the coolest gifts I ever got was a little plastic set from the Christian bookstore of like, you know, the sword said, you know, it had the words on everything. It was awesome. I was running around. I broke it that first day I got it, broke it all. Why? I loved it. It was so epic. I was so ready for war. Ah! Broke it all. You know why, man? I didn't wrap that stuff up in prayer. It says right here in Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, the very next verse, shield of faith, boom. Then it says this, when you're actively preparing by putting on the armor of God, right? This is what he wraps all of that up in. Have faith, have something, your mind with salvation. You know what I'm saying? Be ready, fit with the feet to preach the gospel, belt of truth, all that, right? And this is what he says to encompass, to summarize all that. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplication to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that he may be able to declare it boldly as he ought to. He was in chains, literal chains. Right, so God had called this man to poverty and chains, and he's telling them to pray for him and to continue in prayer because all that stuff about preparing for spiritual warfare, all that armor, right, right, it was all encompassed with prayer. You see, through study, we preemptively fortify ourselves, but through prayer, we encourage and empower for me overseas as we struggle with the mission that we have. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your family. Pray for your purpose. Pay for your daughters, your sons, your mothers, your brothers, your ministers. Pray for your own mind. Take your thoughts captive through prayer. Pray yourself to life, a life in the spirit. Amen. But let me tell you something, this has got to be done all the time, all the time, and not when attacks come. Because if you only pray when attacks come, <laughs> that's not good. You're going to get ambushed. Nobody likes to get ambushed, man. Let me tell you about a story about the disciples. They got ambushed. They were all there gathered at the bottom of a hill. Jesus was up on the hill. He was praying and fasting, the Bible says. And... Uh, the disciples were down there at the bottom, and, and they had already seen demons cast out. They had already seen the dead raised. They had already seen all kinds of incredible feats, Jesus doing amazing things. Amen. Right? And so they're there at the bottom of the hill, and they're praying for this boy. This poor boy, the story about him is there. He was so oppressed, so possessed. He was just struggling with this spiritual attack. He was so bound up in it, man. And his parents brought him, and they're praying for him, and they're praying for him. And the disciples are like, yeah, yes, the same words that Jesus said, the same words that I said the last time a demon was cast out. They were just verbatim, you know. They're just trying to pray this, and nothing's happening. Quoting the keys to the kingdom, and, and nothing's happening. They're thinking, What's the difference between last time and this time? Jesus comes off that, that hill after praying and fasting, and he walks up. He speaks a very simple word, and the boy is delivered immediately. Amazing. And you might be like, oh, it's because he's Jesus, right? Well, he had already given them authority to do the same, to do the same. Thank God this is in there because the disciples came and asked Jesus, why when we prayed, nothing happened? I'm so glad they asked. Here's what Jesus said, and he replied to them, and this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. But what if you haven't prayed? But what if you haven't fasted? Hmm. What if you haven't spent that time anchored in the word of God? What if you haven't spent that time in the presence of Jesus through prayer? So you're all ready for battle on Sunday afternoon. What about Monday afternoon? What about Tuesday afternoon? Oh, man, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Can you even make it to Friday? Listen, man, we need to be preemptive in our study of the word of God. We need to be preemptive in our prayer life. We need to be preemptive in our fasting that we enable ourselves to stay abiding in the vine, stay connected to Jesus, knowing that we are going to be engaged by the enemy throughout our life. Do not be outwitted. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2.11, excuse me. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. 
You see, the devil's not coming to you with a pitchfork, scaly tail, hairy goat legs, and a Halloween mask. That's not how the devil rolls. Who knows where the devil is? Y'all think he's in hell? Do y'all think he's Lord of hell? Do you think he's in heaven? None of that's true. The devil's roaming around the earth, seeking someone whom he may devour. The Bible says that old serpent is a deceiver. He's a father of lies. All he can do is accuse you and lie to you. That's it. He's not the Lord of anything but deception. He has no power over your life. He has no authority over you at all. None. He is weak. He is defeated. You understand? We resist the devil and he flees. Hallelujah. Like a little flea. Me, 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 me. You with authority or power. No, 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 no. He's scheming with that Instagram model on your phone. Whoa. Pushing you to lust and then pornography. Ending in addiction, depression, and a downward spiral to the end of your spiritual life. That's the devil's plans. It's the same yesterday, today, forever. Just like God is the same, the devil is the same. His plan don't change. His power doesn't change. No, 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 no. James 1.15 tells us after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. The wages of sin is still death. The enemy, if you give him an inch, he will entrench. He'll lay mines and hazards. Don't allow him to even have the chance to leave a desire in your mind. You throw those things out. Amen. Let me make something clear, though. Temptation can lead to sin, but it doesn't have to, and it's wise to remember that whenever you're tempted. The Bible says that the Lord always provides a way out of temptation. But what if you willingly choose to walk past it. Because the Bible also says anyone who continues in sin says they love God as a liar. Man, don't let that. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be your life. Don't let that be your purpose. Don't let that be how you live. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. The world loves sin. Like it says in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter, I'm flying through my notes real quick because uh, I know I'm taking a long time. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Yo, hold up. What did I say? Wild living? That definitely sounds like the world today. They live in wild out there. And let me, let me ask, will they not throw abuse on you when you live according to Scripture? Jesus said the world hated me. They will hate you also. It wasn't a maybe. It was not, we're supposed to be countercultural. We're supposed to be nothing like them. Come out and be separate. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The powers and principalities are not attacking us with fear tactics, but welcoming us with the alluring comfort of being just like everyone else, baiting us into complacency, wooing us into the acceptance of others over the acceptance of Jesus Christ, finding your identity in anything other than Jesus Christ and the purpose he created for you. But let me tell you something. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, far more than I want to hear the applause of man. Amen. I want to tell you a story. Well, hang on. First, I want to quote a couple of simple things that I almost skipped over in my notes. Y'all forgive me. You can give up the fight at any time, but you'd be giving up the victory. Hallelujah. You can stop running the race, 
but that would just be forfeiting the price. There's a man named David who did this uh, for a moment in his life. We think about David. If we could get the worship team back up here. David was a man, the Bible, we all know, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? He was a warrior poet. He was a man who loved God. The Bible says he worshiped God so hard his outer clothes fell off and his wife was embarrassed of him. My wife was about that kind of stuff, right? He's the one who killed Goliath with the stone. He wrote all those songs, right? He wrote all those beautiful worship songs. We still sing them today even. In churches all around today, we sing the, the songs that David wrote. But you know what else he did? You know, what else he did? He, he stopped running that race in the right direction. He stopped living in victory in those small battles and let those little battles grow into something else. You see, David was supposed to be fighting that battle somewhere else, but he allowed himself not to be at that battle when he was at home. And he found himself on the roof. And while he was up there on the roof, he looks over and he sees on another roof a woman bathing. And he allowed that seed of temptation, that desire to grow into sin. And let me tell you something, it certainly brought death. The Bible says that he ended up killing one of the mighty men of God, the men of valor that was following him, his friend Uriah. He literally has this man murdered so he could have his wife. That's messed up. Dude broke every commandment there is. He was so lost in sin. He was so far from God. But let me tell you something. David made the ultimate decision in improving his fighting position spiritually. Repentance. That's good news for him and it's good news for each and every one of you. There's good news for each and every one of you. It doesn't matter how far you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned. It doesn't matter how much you've gone through. And the prayer team also, if you guys could come up. It doesn't matter how far you are, how much you've sinned. There's another story I want to mention briefly uh, as we close. Jesus was on this boat crossing the sea. And when he gets to the other side, he's immediately approached by a man. And this man was so full of demons that literally when Jesus Christ asked, what's your name, the demons responded. You know what they said? We are legion for we are many. Talk about all the oppression and demonic forces you could imagine covering this man. He had a, he had a history and a reputation of being bound with chains and then breaking them off. He was so wounded, he was bleeding constantly. He lived among the tombs. But all that oppression, all that sin, all those wounds, all that brokenness, all that demonic oppression in his life, and none of it, not a single bit of it could keep him from Jesus Christ. Not one power of the enemy, not one sin, not one brokenness, not one thing you've ever done, doesn't matter how far you've ever ran, doesn't matter if you've been filled with every demon of addiction and pornography and sin, uh, alcoholism, you name it, crack cocaine, whatever, it doesn't matter, because there's victory in Jesus Christ, and not all the power of your sin, not all the power of the world's deception, and not all the lies of the enemy could ever keep you from the feet of Jesus Christ. And right there, at those feet, at the cross, you find beauty for ashes. You find healing and restoration. You find hope for the hopeless. You find a father for the fatherless. You find peace everlasting. And Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink from this 
Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.